American songwriter, we had the opportunity to talk to Jeff and John of Saint Disruption over Zoom video. Both Jeff and John talk about where they grew up and how they got into music. Jeff talked about learning drums at a very early age. His mom said, if you can cook every night, she wasn't a big cook. If you can cook every night, we will buy you a drum set. And the moment you stop cooking, the drum set goes away. And from there, uh, he obviously continued to cook and continued to play drums. He uh, played in a Leonard Skinner cover band at one point, which led to him performing in uh, various other bands, one of them achieving some radio success up in Canada, doing some touring. And John started out on piano at a very, very early age. She said there's pictures of him. I was like an infant on the piano, started learning classical piano at five and played his first paid gig at 12 years old. From there, he's performed with various bands uh, in his own bands. He's uh, worked with Coheed and Cambria and Chino of Deftones and Dr. No of Bad Brains. And they both talk about their brand new project, Saint Disruption, and how they met in a forest in Nicaragua, which eventually turned into this band that started uh, kind of due to COVID. They were both chatting quite a bit prior, and uh, once quarantine started, uh, they really had a chance to, to start working on this project, which is essentially them writing the music and then collaborating with a bunch of other artists to uh, provide vocals or, or lyrics to to the music of their new album, which is coming out, called Rose in the Oblivion. You can watch our interview with Jeff and John on our Facebook page and YouTube channel, at Bringing It Backwards, and follow us on Instagram and Twitter, at Bringing Back Pod. We'd appreciate your support if you follow and subscribe to our podcast, wherever you listen to podcasts. We're Bringing It Backwards with St. Disruption. Thank you guys so much for doing this. Uh, this podcast is about you guys and your journey in music and how you got to where you are now. Fantastic. <laughs> right on. Well, uh, Jeff, let's start with you. So you, you're, you guys are both in Ashbury right now or no? No, I, John, I live, I live in upstate New York a couple hours oh. north of New York City. Okay, cool, cool, cool. Let's say... Jeff, originally you said you're not originally from from Ashbury. Where are you? Uh, where were you born and raised? Well, I'm basically a Carolina boy. I've been uh, here on and off most of my life. So, got got redneck in my blood. I went to grad school in in England and have, wow, uh, a number of different places. But North Carolina has always been my home. Very cool. Very cool. And what about you, John? Uh, well, I live in upstate New York. I grew up in South Florida. Fort Lauderdale area, Pompano Beach, moved to Boston for school and been in the Northeast, you know, you know, city out to the woods and then to New York City after that. And then now I'm out in the woods again. Right on. And what, how did you get into music? Oh, well, my dad used to sit me at the piano when I was a baby and I started taking classical piano lessons when I was about five years wow. old and that's kind of all i've ever done really Would, had, had my first gig when i was 12 and it's the only thing i only yeah kind of the only job i've ever had really wow was your dad a um professional musician as well yeah. or no he could he just he had about an hour's worth 40 minutes to an hour's worth of you know cocktail party entertainment up his sleeve and he would <laughs> sit at the piano after the you know the appropriate number of cocktails and just you know, keep everybody entertained with, you know, the, the, the songs of his generation, you know. 
That's awesome. Well, uh, so f you said you started playing classical piano at five years old. Well, how old were you when you first sat on the piano? Like I infant? <laughs> yeah, no, there's pictures of me, like probably, you know, I mean, little, like, because we had a piano in the house. Like, so I've seen pictures from when we were little. My dad used to sit up there, <laughs> sit up there and play with me, you know, before that for sure. Wow. And 12 was your first gig. How, yeah. Was that originals? Is that like a recital? Tell me about that. Well, I mean, I was doing recitals before that, you know, as a class, but I mean, I, I think my first, like, sort of gig that paid, it was, it was a theater company. I just backed up a, you know, a company, accompanying a theater company when I was 12, you know. Wow. Yeah, so you I, just, I, like. I my first gig because I got paid. I don't know what, you know, it was almost nothing, but, but <laughs> um, yeah, I just played music all the time, everything. I would just do anything, you know, I would, I, I, I you know, I started taking, um, jazz lessons when I was about 11 and I had a teacher amazing teacher this woman Lee Shaw you know incredible master of putting material together and I was very lucky she was down in Florida at that time because she's from upstate New York but um she was down there and she and one of the things she told me she's like if you get if you get asked to do a gig say yes and then go figure it if, it, if something you don't know how to do go say yes make it till you make it before you get to the gig like that right was, on. say yes to everything do everything you can and i that was easy for me because i still i still kind of like that you know let's say yes no is a hard word for me to get out of my mouth that's awesome very cool well okay so jeff where were you originally from born and raised denver colorado and then moved moved to north carolina when i was about eight years old okay and how did you get into music I got into music um, because I was a completely, I was a weird kid. I was completely obsessed with uh, Henry Mancini and I watched the Henry Mancini show all the time and just loved big band stuff and loved the idea of, of like composing music for, for movies and cinema. I was just completely like enamored with what this guy was up to and wanted to play flute. Oh, um, interesting. And my teeth were all crooked and stuff. So I couldn't And my second, choice was drums and my parents were like oh my god drums and uh my mom actually did something really smart when i was eight years old she said well she didn't like to cook and she said well jeff if you take some of the cooking responsibilities we'll get you a drum set wow but as soon as you drop those responsibilities the drum set goes and and to this day i mean she's like 84 and i'll get in her car and she's got you know like a cd of led zeppelin or the rolling stones in her cd <laughs> she's just like driving along you know she's wow. <laughs> a big fan of cooking and she became a big fan of rock and roll as as a consequence so i've been playing every since and and um cut my teeth uh with uh southern rock bands i played in a a, a skinner tribute band and awesome like 16 and got to warm up for john lee hooker it was like the biggest my first wow. show pretty much the biggest show i ever ever did it was like six thousand people or something like that it was pretty whoa how did you get that gig that's crazy it was a street it was a big street festival in the in the in the town where i lived and the guitarist's dad was like you know like one of the big donors to the chamber of commerce so he kind of worked it for us it was it was fantastic i mean i got bit by the the performance bug at a really early age wow 16 you said when that happened yeah. and then from the what that band uh that you guys were a tribute skinner tribute band yeah yeah we played okay. yeah we did a lot of skinner we you know had hair down to our butts and <laughs> sure 
school. Um, and then I unfortunately got into prog rock. That kind of got me off. And <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Did you join a, a prog rock band or like? Were yeah, you playing one? yeah. Okay. We were doing prog rock, and of course, it was the time of REM and mm-hmm. and um, and flannel, and it just didn't go very well. <laughs> we was that like, um, did you guys, I mean, how seriously did you take that band? Were you guys touring and really trying to get a deal and, and, and yeah, make we were, it a career? Yeah, yeah we, um, we were touring around and we did two albums with uh, Mitch Easter of um, R.E.M. fame. And, wow. Um, and that was really, that was really fun. One, one album got some good airplay in Canada. I remember getting like $1.25 checks from BMI for... <laughs> radio play that's, that's cool though yeah it was really good have- working with mitch i reconnected with him the other day what a what an incredible person an incredible producer gosh yeah. that's amazing with it with those uh did you ever get a chance to hear your band on the radio or like were you ever up in canada when they're playing it or no unfortunately oh. not the 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 only time i've heard myself on the radio is actually here in western north carolina with our uh uh premiere release with saint disruption Oh, um, wow. Stories was, they, we have a really awesome uh, WNCW, a really awesome radio station that supports regional acts and Americana. They're, they're fantastic. That's cool. The, even with the airplay, did you guys ever, you didn't tour in Canada? No, we, we toured in the, in the States. We, my van would only make it about 300 miles. So we kept oh. it. it's like seventies, <laughs> you know, 70s chevy van that was always breaking down so we figured we better keep it within 300 miles or so there you go (laughs) like john has done i was gonna ask what about you john like so from the 12 year old you know the theater gig what what, did you join a band like what was next for you well i've always done a lot i mean it's sort of like done everything i mean when I, yeah, when I was in high school, I mean, you know, that's how I me. Mean, I, I played with theater companies. I played in big bands. I played in because there was like, you know, where I grew up in Fort Lauderdale, there was an incredible live music scene back then. This is the 70s, you know. And so mm-hmm. I, I would, I played in these sort of regional community big bands with that had, you know, people of all ages, depending on the level of their playing, you know, I played in this big, and um, yeah, I worked with the Children's Theater Company. You know, I ended up, I wrote a couple of musicals for them. I, I continued playing classical music. I was playing jazz. I was, and I, there was, you know, I played in a band. I sort of my first sort of real, quote unquote, band. Because back then we're talking South Florida. You know the the laws around bars and liquor were a lot looser than most other places in the country. <laughs> so as a fifteen year old, I was playing in this. I was able to play in this bar. You know this club called um, the Musicians Exchange. And it, there was a band called. It was called Emergency. Was the name of the band, and it was bass, keyboards, and drums. This great bass player named Charles Norcus, who goes by Chuck Doom now, lives out in LA and has this project called Saudades. It's really amazing. Mm-hmm. And, a, and a drummer, this drummer, Pauly, who was actually Jaco Pastoris' brother-in-law. And um, and so, yeah, we just were playing. We played, I played Rhodes in that band, and we just played you know that was sort of and then i kind of played a lot of different stuff at that you know at that point and then i would play weddings you know every new year's i play with big bands put on the tux and go play played a lot of bar mitzvahs and weddings and bands because i could read music and stuff so i would just hop in there and do these gigs so it was kind of like yeah i did a lot of a wide variety of stuff but always you know sort of with this dream of jazz piano sort of you know that was kind of really like what 
I loved and was really working towards. You know? Wow. And then I went to music. I went to school in Boston. Went to music school in Boston. Did you go Berkeley? No, hell no. Oh. Music <laughs> conservatory. I'm gonna. I'm yeah. <laughs> I'm <gonna be> going. <laughs> yeah. Wait. I went to music conservatory. Oh, okay. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> but you've played with a bunch of people. I mean, even I'm looking at your, your Wikipedia page. You you were like featured on like a Coheed and Cambria record and like stuff like that. Like that just seems yeah. so much different than, than like a classical piano. Yeah. Well, I don't. Yeah. I mean, I, uh, yeah. I mean, I, I mean, I grew up when I grew up. I mean, I listened to everything. I was just, as I say, for me, music is music. You know, this whole like, pigeonholing boxing up of I mean I play all kinds of music you know I don't play classical music anymore although you know I love it it's like I stopped you know when I went to school I stopped because I realized that's not what I wanted to do with my life you know started exploring jazz and the explorations of jazz and the idea of like sort of finding my own style got me into really examining who I was who I am you know and I realized that well I'm not actually really a jazz guy either you know I'm sort mm -hmm. of just I am what I am. I'm this dude who grew up in Florida at the time that I did listening to the music that I did. And so my whole thing has been about trying to be honest about that, but I love so much different music. So I played with, yeah, I played with a lot of, I played with a pretty broad variety of stuff, but cause I like it all, you know? Sure. I just have, you know, I have, I've developed a certain relationship to music, melody, harmony, rhythm, that is basically been my life. So I can, I can transpose that into different styles. To me, there's, I don't, I, I don't, you know, as, as somebody once said, hardening of the categories promotes art disease. And uh, <laughs> I really feel that, man. I just like, I, you know, it's like, I, I love music, period. You know, I've, I've gone through phases where like, what I, what, I, what I call like, I was a jazz hole, I used to call it, you know, but I call <laughs> people where like, you know, it's gotta be this or that to be good. And I just, you know, I grew out of, you know, music is just good, period. Music is mm -hmm. good, it's important. And it's one of our greatest languages as human beings. It's one of the greatest things we've ever, we've ever done you know mm -hmm. maybe the best language that we have sure. you know, i would say in my opinion so i just like it all man and it's like yeah i, I feel it's very much of a business you know this music business limitation that oh you're you know they try to so they can put you in a, it started with the record stores put you in a section of the record store so you had to like really focus what you were doing if you wanted to sell it mm -hmm. and i guess it's probably not the smartest thing but i've, I've done the opposite i've always just doing everything so consequently, yeah. Yeah, I mean, well, you... I'm not the smartest business guy, you know. That's the way it goes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, tell me, like, uh, you you formed the super group with like you know Chino of Deftones. You have Doctor No of Bad Brains. Like, were these people that you knew personally prior to oh, like? How, how do you? That, that was actually that's this project with um with the guy I was talking about that I played with in high school, who's you know uh, Charles Norcus Chuck Doom. He put that project together. Oh and wow. Projects, you know, yeah. So this is, you know, I just say yeah, I end up as sort of a collaborator, have in a lot of things, you know. Mm -hmm. um, but generally, like my exploration has been with instrumental music, mm -hmm. you know. And although I love playing with these these you know people, I love songs, I love it all. But my personal music has been instrumental music and the power that that language has on its own. Okay. Okay. And then how? Okay. So Jeff, how do you meet John? Like, when does this relationship form? Oh, just like in a nominal cafe in the middle of the city. No, actually, we were, we actually met in the middle of the Ecuadorian Amazon, um, a long way from the nearest. R small really? Yep. Really? Okay. I thought you were going to go off on some joke here. Wait. Okay. So how did you guys meet in the middle of an Ecuadorian? What? Jungle? 
There's nothing normal about this story. Okay, I want to hear it. Any aspect of it. We were we were each on on pilgrimages for for our own growth and healing and our own reasons and um, and we're sitting in this noted healer's kitchen essentially and and just finding out who each other was. John was there with his wife and I guess a, a friend of 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 y'all's and uh, and we struck up a conversation. I discovered that I'm you know sitting with one of my favorite musicians in the world and we kind of kept in touch after that. Our our meeting was just you know few hours and on one afternoon when they arrived to work with this guy and um i guess shortly thereafter john we um we did the the um the immigration stuff to to bring the sequoia in to do some recording and um we have kept in touch on various projects and it wasn't until the pandemic hit that that uh that uh you know something substantial you know, blossomed in, in collaboration for us. And mm -hmm. now we have this art and music collective with some 30 people involved. And I think we're creating some pretty, pretty truthful and, and, and fun, fun music and poetry and visual art. Mm -hmm. And well, okay. So where were you guys at when this hit, like when the, when coronavirus hit, were you working on separate pod projects like how did that affect you and and then kind of you know forming this yeah we were in our own lives i i was actually my last gig was with this band that i i have called the word and we were in mm -hmm. Tampa, florida march 8th um you know a year ago and it was hitting pretty hard and then i came back and that was it that you know everything else got canceled after that you know so that was like my world and then were you were you on tour or was this like a one-off kind of show that you guys did no that was a, it was one it was a festival you know oh, okay so we were just you know it's like a one-off festival gig in tampa and um yeah and then i came back up here and that was it i've been i've been basically here in upstate new york ever since <laughs> one trip to peru in december uh i've been here otherwise the whole time wow what about you jeff where were you at same thing. I was I was planning a very very full year. I had five trips to Europe um, planned, and and you know all of my, all of the work that I was doing at the time was depending on being in person with people, workshops, retreats, teaching, mm -hmm. and um, everything within the span of two weeks disappeared. And uh, I did what I usually do. I was just like, okay, spirit what's up? You know, what am I going to do? You know, how can I serve with this, with these bizarre circumstances? And uh, the message I got was to go back to really go back to music and poetry and to, and, and to somehow speak and reflect what I'd experienced in the last 20 years as a teacher, a currandero, as a scientist, as a troublemaker. And, you know, the message was that I'd be supported and holy, wow, this has been such an amazing ride. Just, you know, completely replete with miracle after miracle after miracle. I mean, it's just like my life was perfect to start with. And now it's like, whoa, that's some damn dope icing on the cake. I mean, I'm having a blast. Sure. Wow. Well, how did the idea of Sane Disruption come about? Were you guys chatting about this, this, you know, collective of people? Or was it just, let's get together and try to do something? Like, how did the idea start? John, you want to take it? <laughs> I don't, I, look, I, I was just sitting around my house and I, I get an email from Jeff or uh, with, you know, asking about uh, 
that he had this too. He had this piece, you know, that he was thought I he was looking, for, thought I might be right for, you know, and um, it was, you know, and I look a little deeper into it. Wow, it's Umar from the Last Poets, and I, you know, both Jeff and I have. I mean, I've, since I first heard that, you know, they're sort of they're life changing, you know, when, for me when I first heard them, you know, and they really started a whole movement, you know, that has blossomed into what you know what we now know as rap and. And they started this, you know, these hardcore words with music, you know, mm-hmm. very political and um, it was deep, you know, and I think for a lot of people, it was, those records were life-changing. So he had Umar on this <clears throat> and I was like, wow, okay, I guess, this, you know, <laughs> how can I say no to this? Mm-hmm. And um, he sent it to me, he had like a little piano part written out of some weird computer score thing and I... <laughs> I was like, all right, I'll try this. And I, you know, he had, he had, he had, he had a recording with a really cool beat on it with, you know, with Umar's poem on it and then a real extended section after the poem, like really open. And so I played the part, you know, sort of the way he had it. Uh, and I, and then I just was like, you know what? I got nothing to lose here. I'm just going to play with what I'm feeling. Mm-hmm. I'm going to, I'm going to react to this poem in this way that I, you know, in, in sort of my concept of what, like, you know, this, poetry and music interaction can be. I'm just gonna to react to the poem, I'm gonna feel it, and I'm gonna do my part. So I did that, that's what I did, I just played. I did a few passes on it, and I sent it back to Jeff, having no, you know, having no idea, you know, I often just try to do what people, what I think people want, you know, if I'm doing a recording like that, just make sure that they're, you know, give them what they want. So it was kind of, for me, it was a little stretch to put my feeling, my feelings into it, you know? So <laughs> I did, I put my feelings into it. And Jeff came back and he loved my feelings, you know, so <laughs> that was very reassuring. And um, sure. that's kind of, for me, that's kind of, that's how it started. It was through the music, through the connection, you know, and that's kind of how any, and most projects that, that I've been involved with, it's really about that. Like, cause, cause there's like, you know, there, uh, this is like weird, but it's like there, you know, the, there's a, like music is really an expression of, it's, it's not the mind, you know, that's like words, books, you know, we can write down what we're thinking. Music is truly something about, the, you know, our, our heart has, you know, is probably smarter than our mind, you know, and music is, music really is the language of communicating, you know, this thing between idea and emotion, which, you know, mm-hmm. this intelligence that we have, you know, and so when I feel like when, you know, when you, when you relate to each other on that level like you know when you and you relate to music like that it's a good thing and that's what that's what i felt i felt like jeff really and i think a lot of times i'm scared because because i have so much experience playing a lot of different kinds of music in a lot of situations i don't awe, you know sometimes i'm scared to really reveal like what i would do because mm-hmm. you know there's a part of it well whatever who cares who cares what i think who cares what i have to offer you know and the fact that jeff cared really meant a lot to me it felt really good and it kind of opened this door like wow okay so cool this is this is like you know there's there's a real symbiosis here like you know what i felt he felt what i felt and was excited about it so that he sent me another track and i did the same thing and, and the same thing happened. So, so and so then like to me I was like, okay god we can really do something i'm feeling you know we're on the same page really mm-hmm. you know and just having such a um, parallel history with our, you know, s- sort of spirit oriented work, you know, with South America, you know, just done a lot of work in the Andes, you know, my first, I had a whole, the first time I went down there, I had this major initiation with the Caro, 
that I didn't even know was happening. And now I can look back on it and realize it was because I was involved in a movie and supposed to, I was going to do the soundtrack. Mm -hmm. And this woman put us through this, like, you know, major initiation for like almost two weeks. Oh, wow. All, all over the place. You know, Pacha Tucson. We went to all these different, you know, spots and to and like I, get and I, and I a feel like, for it, like as far as the movie went, like that's pretty. Yeah, I didn't know I was getting set up, you know, and then Jeff has been doing the same thing in his own way, you know, and we have all we have a lot of parallels in our lives, you know, and mm -hmm. so for this to come together. And I think we also really believe uh, in music as a healing force, you know, just in, a, in, a, in and of itself. I mean, mm -hmm. we want to like, you know, this, this whole thing and, and like just trying to bring that back, you know, the, you know, and and that's and then and, and, and community music community the collective mm -hmm. what it can do what it can do for us how it can inspire us how can it help how it can help us live better how it can heal us you know and that doesn't mean it has to be gongs and and, and singing bowls you know mm -hmm. that's great too but it can also just be real music that we're feeling you know that has to do with the politics of the times because you know it's it's been a wild ride the past few years you know sure so we sure. want to express that truth in the music you know but also have it feel feel good it's like you know something that we uh, you know a, a passion and a desire that we share and, and also the way what jeff just told his story about how he came to this idea of creating this music that to mm -hmm. me is that's, that's always where music comes from for me you know it's like and the fact that he's that he comes at like and then he comes and, and then it's this kind of music that it's you know it's a little more it's more accessible there's songs you know but he's coming from this place of like you know asking what to do you know sort of a, i don't know what to call it a prayerful place a meditation spot place you know and that's for me like you know the real deal so you know that's how that's how i got roped in big <laughs> <laughs> disruption Okay. Okay. Well, so the record coming out is called Rose in the Oblivion. And is this an album of music put together by you guys? And then you have like Umar or whoever come on and, and do their piece or like, how does, how does the album like flow as far as people contributing to it? <laughs> this, this is a, this has been a work in, in progress because, you know, there's been quite a few limitations in people getting together. Sure. So, um, you know, essentially, I spent the first six months of last year just completely in this, um, just in this, I don't know if obsessed is the word, but I was deeply entrenched. What John and I did with Umar really just, you know, set me on fire. I mean, it was like, wow, um, this is something completely new, and I just completely went for it and and wrote and wrote and wrote and and work at and you know basically i'm in my home studio here this is where i did most of the initial demos and stuff and john would i and i would share demos and then um we'd get stuff to the point where they you know could actually be um you know taken to my friend um michael hines studio where we you know did most of the drums and then apple um applehead studios up where john lives where um, John has done a tremendous amount of work. He and his uh, uh, buddy Chris up there did a lot of a lot of recording up there too. So it was, you know, basically cobbling uh, stuff together, despite the fact that there were lots of travel and and logistic limitations with with people. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. So there was something about the inefficiency of it that actually um, helped it along because we had a lot of 
time, the luxury of a lot of time with the songs and a number of the songs went through multiple, multiple generations, multiple iterations, you know, changing rhythms, changing, um, you know, changing key signatures, you know, just all sorts of um, things happened that oftentimes, you know, you just, you know, book a week in the studio and you kind of blast past. And here we had more incubation time. So I think there was a, a kind of a beauty and, and, um, and positive outcome in the fact that we did have more time and some inefficiencies keeping us moving at a particular pace. Mm-hmm. And with the, with the personnel on the record, like, for example, the Umar song, like, was that something that you're like, okay, he's going to be perfect for this song, so I'm going to reach out to him? Or, you know, whatever the next song or next single will be, is that something that you kind of had an idea in your mind, like, okay, I want to use this person, maybe, hopefully they'll be down, or did you have, you know, a bunch of people you already knew, and you're like, okay, let's, you know, collectively decide who can sing or do what on what what song? It was a little bit of both. I mean, I think, you know, with Umar, it was, you know, sort of a, it was an uh, actualization of a spiritual principle that, that kind of guides a lot of my, my life. And that is, if you're working with a particular theme, whether that, that theme is um, a, a contagion or imbalance or illness in a person, or if you're working with a, 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 discipline an academic discipline you always go back to the source always go back to the originating seed that was planted and that's how you can affect the most change and and you know right around the time that i was um you know starting to blossom all this with john it, the the whole civil rights um all the issues surrounding and pain surrounding the civil rights thing came right back to the fore and i was like well you know i feel like i need to write about this because I've worked with, you know, so many people over the years as a current Darrow who, you know, faced oppression in their lives. And I, and I, you know, myself um, in my early childhood experienced a lot of that. So I was like, I got to write about this. And, and, <clears throat> and so immediately I thought, well, goodness gracious, the, the seed that we're talking about here in, in, in contemporary music is, is the last poets. And I just, but I have nothing to lose. I'm going to try to find Umar and see if if uh, if he would do something. And and uh, and not only did he say yes, but he agreed to read one of my poems, which has become the song "Stories." And he contributed. Uh, you know, I think what John is referring to is that there was a certain authenticity and vulnerability that constituted the beginning of this project. I mean, Umar gave us a an autobiographical poem, a very uh, weighty, very vulnerable autobiographical poem and said, here, you guys, please don't mess this up. Actually, he said, don't mess this up. Um, (laughs) He didn't ask, please. He didn't ask politely. (laughs) Don't mess this up. Um, And uh, as soon as I got that, I was like, wow, I just got myself in just a little bit over my head. And, and John was the first person that came to mind. I was like, you know, this is going to take, a, a, you know, I, I'm always, I'm about collaboration. I'm like, I got to find somebody who is smarter and a better musician than I am. And somebody who shows up in the moment and lets medicine flow through them. And, you know, of course, John was the first person I thought of. And, and so, you know, it, for me, it's interesting. It's like, 
you know, there's a there's a teaching from complexity theory that complex systems are exquisitely sensitive to initial conditions. And I really, one of the things that I'm most proud about in this project is that is that we got off to, I think, a really good start. I mean, we modeled, you know, John and I through this collaboration modeled what has become the foundational um, juice, the foundational energy for this community. I mean, it's like all about supporting one another in, in growing and learning and using music and art to, to grow and, and, and get to know oneself in a, in a deeper way and get to know the world in a deeper way. I mean, I just friggin' love that. Mm -hmm. I love that too. And, and, and as far as the record goes, you guys are doing a Kickstarter to, to put the album out. And I love that you're donating a portion of the proceeds. Correct. Tell me about that. Well, that's sort of theoretical. At this uh oh, point. Um, I mean, we want we have that aspiration, but we know that that the music industry is so turned upside down. Sure. Um, unintentionally, I mean, the democratization of the recording process has has kind of had some unintended consequences, i.e., destroying any chance of most musicians having a middle class life. Um, the economics are upside down, and so you know we we are holding that as a as an intention and we're actually creating a record label that has that particular um uh concept of yeah. cornerstone yeah. the idea of bringing music fans who are interested in social change together with great music and so every time they listen to a a, a tune that's under the the root doctor media um record label they know that they're making a small contribution to change i mean that's the model and we've got uh, like three different bands we're talking with now about joining forces we really hope to actualize that now if one of the songs hits or ends up in a as a movie theme then yeah we'll be donating lots but right now we're just kind of getting ourselves yeah, I, I think what i think what, what what jeff is saying is that like yeah we're doing that but when we're when so little is coming in, it's like we're not. It's not like we're we're not sending you know six figure checks to. Anybody. Sure. I mean, it's 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 part of it, and but it is you know, and and it's also it's not. Um, when really famous bands do things like that, it's great because they can give a lot of money. But it, right. is, it is it is a basic principle of how we're starting off, and you know, I guess we don't want to make a big deal of it because like it's it's only a tiny amount. <laughs> Amount of this, still, it's but it, something but it's built, that's awesome. Built in, it's built in as it just should be, you know, right? For, you know, and um, yeah, I mean, it, like just said, it's just a hard business for that, you know? sure, so, sure. Well, thank you guys so much for, for being on and, and chatting with me today. I really, really appreciate it. Thank you, Adam. It's been really fun. Yeah, I, I do have one more question for the both of you. I want to know if you have any advice for aspiring artists. <laughs> Jeff, take it away. <laughs> Tell your truth, really. And don't be afraid. Be fearless in telling the truth that's in your heart and don't let anybody tell you that you need outside agency or authority to know what's true and real and trust your body because your body always tells the truth i love that what about you john
I, you know, I guess for me, just, you know, for just from a more musical standpoint, it's just a similar, I feel that it's, I mean, that's what Jeff said is absolutely the bottom line. You know? uh, I would say you really get to know yourself, you know, musically and in every other way. You really get, you know, and, and you know, you, you need to, obviously you need to practice your musical skills, but have something in your life that helps you get to know yourself, you know, whatever practice that is. You know, because there's so many different things, but because that's what really, that's what we need is we need people really expressing themselves, you know, right now. They're not just doing things, you know, for to achieve success. You know, just to be trying to outsmart some formula. We, we really need people expressing themselves. Right now.